0: here's what's going on with japan society of new orleans come out to the jefferson performing arts center on wednesday september 20th from 5 30 to 8 30 and hang with japan society in new orleans among so many other organizations at culture collision 13 the event is free and open to the public check the japan society website for more details also october is just around the corner and that means japan fest is as well japan fest is being held on october 14th all day at new orleans museum of art Japan Society will be looking for some volunteers to work our table and Samurai Armour try-on Station, so keep your eyes peeled for the sign-up email coming in the next few weeks. Or just check out the Japan Society website for more details. Let's go! Hello, I'm Doug, and welcome to the Crew of Japan podcast, a weekly podcast where we take you on audio journeys through Japanese culture. This time on Crew of Japan Podcast. Welcome back to our podcast. Back in 2019, New Orleans and Matsui City celebrated its 25th anniversary of the establishment of their sister city relationship. As part of that celebration, the Japan Society of New Orleans selected two delegates to send over to participate in the sister city exchange. Those delegates included myself and one of our other co-hosts, Maddie. Back in early season one, Maddie and I did an episode about that sister city relationship with Dr. Samantha Perez, who chaired the exchange program steering committee. If you haven't already, you should definitely go back and give that one a listen if you're interested in learning some more historical context between the two cities and their relationship. I can't believe it's already been five years since that exchange, but with 2024 being the 30th anniversary, Japan's Society of New Orleans is hard at work with the city of Matsue in planning the next exchange program. And in preparation for this exchange, Jennifer and I wanted to put the spotlight back on Matsue and explore what the city and surrounding areas have to offer for visitors. Nicholas McCullough, Coordinator of International Relations in the International Tourism Division in Matsue, joined the podcast to help us explore what Matsue has to offer. From breathtaking sights to unforgettable festivals, Nicholas shares so many tips and tricks to help travelers know what to expect out of their trip to Matsue. And also, stay tuned after our interview, because we'll have some more details about the 2024 New Orleans Matsue Sister City Exchange Program. Let's go. Are you looking for a different way to experience Japan from the comfort of your own home? Look no further than Tokyo Treat. Tokyo Treat is a monthly pop Japanese subscription box that brings you 20 of the latest exclusive limited edition and seasonal flavored Japanese snacks that are only available otherwise in Japan. Some only for a limited time, like Sakura Pepsi, Japanese sake Kit Kats, ramen, and a lot more. September's box helps bring the celebration of skimi, or Japanese moon viewing, to you and your taste buds. This centuries-old tradition is a time to go outdoors and appreciate the beauty of the autumn moon and hopefully cooler weather while giving thanks for the harvest. Well, Tokyo Treat has harvested some skimi-themed snacks just for you to enjoy under the moonlight with friends and family, including chestnut-flavored Kit Kats, mint chocolate moon pebbles, full moon rice crackers, and more. Check out the booklet inside your curated box for more information about the snacks you'll receive, as well as allergen information and a wealth of details about Japanese culture. Sign up today, whether it's for you or maybe just as a gift for a friend or a family member, and use our promo code KOJPODCAST, K-O-J-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and check our show notes or link tree for more details. Yoroshiku ne.
1: Doug, we've always talked about wanting to do an episode about Matsue and we always were trying to figure out who could we get to talk about Matsue besides, you know, us.
0: Technically, yeah, I was about to say technically we have done a (laughs) Matsue episode, but it was way back in season one.
1: And it was more about the city sister relationship than an actual like travel episode, which is kind of what we were trying to aim for. So now I'm happy to say that we have found someone who can talk about Matsue the way I want to talk about it. So Nicholas, thank you for coming on. If you could just briefly introduce yourself so our listeners get to know you better.
2: Well, good evening to the two of you. And first of all, big thank you to having me on the podcast. So I currently, I work at Matsue City Hall, and I work in their international tourism division. The title itself sounds fairly lofty. It's Coordinator for International Relations. But essentially what I do is whatever they end up throwing at me.
0: (laughs) To sum it up. Jet motto, right?
2: Yep, that is literally the jet motto.
0: Former jet here, I get you.
2: Oh, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm just to summarize it very briefly, you know, you get all sorts of tasks. You work on translation assignments, interpretation assignments when they come up. We make school visits. I also run a couple different social media pages from which I actually introduce English speakers to culture and, you know, traditional festivals, among other things concerning Matsue itself. Just basically everything you could imagine under the sun.
1: Yep, that sounds about right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, whatever they throw at you and the CIR rules. I had some friends, or roles rather, I had some friends in CIRs and yeah, it's pretty much a a, a mixed bag of everything.
2: It's a mixed bag of everything, but um, with that being said, I'm very happy with my workplace. Very good relationships with everyone and everyone is here because we actually want to do our jobs. So it's just a very loving, very friendly and very positive work environment.
1: And that's yeah, the best.
0: It's <laughs> incredible. And understated, right? Like, it's an understatement when you have a good workplace. Yeah. Um, but before we jump any further, what we want to ask first is what we ask all of our guests about whether or not you have a connection to New Orleans. Obviously, you know, we're a Japan Society of New Orleans sponsored podcast where we're based out of New Orleans. So that's kind of our staple question. You know, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear New Orleans or have you ever been before? You know, share with us something that you think of when you hear New Orleans.
2: So I will start off with saying I unfortunately have not had the chance to go to New Orleans as of yet. I would say the only real connection I have is not necessarily through me, but kind of vicariously through my mother, who actually lived in Louisiana for a little bit of time. Um, She's told me some very interesting stories, nothing of which I Do you know where in
1: Louisiana she (laughs)
2: lived? No, I don't know off the top of my head, but she did not live in New Orleans itself. Um, she lived okay. far more out. I don't want to use the word sticks here uh, in the countryside. <laughs> <laughs> she lived much more out in the countryside. Um, but she has some fond memories of Louisiana and especially New Orleans itself. Okay.
1: So from her,
2: nothing but positive things. And just thinking about it, you know, just what comes to mind is this image of a true collection of like all sorts of different folk cultures. So whether you're thinking about the music that was really took off or was born from New Orleans, or whether you're thinking about the food itself that was devised by the people there, just Whenever I think about anything linked to New Orleans, I get this really down-to-earth, grounded, just a culture of the people kind of vibe.
0: Yeah, it's definitely a melting pot of cultures and people from all walks of life and, you know, a lot of different things. It's basically a giant pot of gumbo. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's exactly what it is. But now to get more about you, Nicholas. Something that we ask all of our guests is, what is your Japan journey? You know, what got you into Japanese culture, wanting to learn about Japan? And then, of course, you know, eventually living there in all places, Matsue. So kind of give us your story.
2: So I would say my first real initial connection with Japan is, in fact, Godzilla films. And I've been watching them since I was four years old and the one that sticks out to me the most is the first movie in which mecha godzilla actually appeared
0: you know i think that was my first godzilla movie too (laughs) that one's a classic
2: it's a classic one it has it has my favorite kaiju that appears in that and i think that's the one of the only movies that king Caesar appears in but you know there's a little bit of the nerdy side of me. And of course, you know, anime was a big influence growing up when I was a kid, although I had no idea that anime was something from Japan, simply due to the dubbing, the nature Mm, of dubbing everything into English. So, you know, I already had a connection there. So I unfortunately didn't actually have a chance to study Japanese in middle school or high school. However, when I was a senior, I had an English teacher who recommended me some Japanese literature to read. And my first initial novel was Kafka on the Shore by Murakami Haruki.
1: Yep, that's a good one.
2: It's a great novel. Still one of the best, in my personal opinion, at least as far as the impact it had on me at the time. But later on, I ended up experimenting a little bit more and I ended up finding Mishima Yukio. And boy, his writing is a trip. <laughs> it's uh it's just one of those things where it's like you don't have to agree with it, but just get ready for a ride at that point. Yeah. yeah. Then after that, while I was at community college in my hometown, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And every time I got interested in a class, I kept coming back to language in some aspect, whether it was, you know, messing around with writing in terms of literature or composition, fiction writing, journalism, I just went all over the place. And I ended up realizing I've taken at least five to six linguistics classes at this point, and I've loved every single one of them. Isn't this the direction I should be heading in? When I ended up transferring to uh, California State University, Monterey Bay, they had a Japanese language and culture program. So I just ended up you know, making that decision right then and there. Well, this seems interesting. Let's see how this works out. And here I am.
0: Here you are.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you studied the language in college. hmm You go the jet route or how did you get to Japan?
2: So I studied the language and about the culture at college and then One year of my time at my university was actually one year of study abroad. And I studied abroad at Okayama University. Oh, cool. Yeah, so not too far from here. Well, by train, it's actually pretty far, unfortunately. Although we're pretty much right (laughs) next to each other. So that was my first year living in Japan. And that was actually my first year living on my own, ever. Oh, nice. So that was... In both positive and negative aspects, it was a very, um, informative and transformative experience. Yeah. But then I returned to my university after that year, I completed my degree and I was actually planning on applying for the JET program then. But I wanted to continue studying Japanese because I didn't feel I was quite there yet. So on a whim. I actually applied for a Japanese language consortium that's run by Stanford University. And I didn't think I was gonna get in, but apparently I scored pretty high on the entrance test and they looked at my background and they thought, well, I guess this applicant would make, you know, a good addition, you know, to our students. So I ended up getting in, which was, that was pretty big for me. I studied for 1 year at a Japanese language school in Yokohama City. And that was about about 7 to 8 hours a day just very it's like very study,
0: right? Intensive. Very
2: intensive. Very intensive yeah. like every afternoon you're wanting to pull your hair out kind of intensive.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but that was exactly what I wanted i knew what i was getting into so it was more so just me not enjoying it but at the same time enjoying the pain of the process in a sense
0: it's it's built to make or break you right (laughs) exactly
2: and it did a little bit of both of those
0: things
2: (laughs) (laughs) but with that being said we got through this and this was between 2019 2020 so during this time um as we all know the pandemic happened and actually, I had applied and I was supposed to get a job working at a Japanese inn in Yamagata prefecture. Okay. And, you know, as soon as we went full blown lockdown, um, I could not get my work visa at that point because uh... the tourism industry was obviously it was struggling. Yeah. So I ended up going home towards the end and finishing my classes just online, just from California, because we were full-blown online at that point anyway. We weren't actually attending the school in person. Sure. So then I finished up school and I I bided my time in my hometown and I worked at a local supermarket. But during that time, I kept in contact with all my Japanese friends, my I got back into contact with my teachers from my university, and I would come in as a guest in some of their um, Japanese courses or Japanese culture-focused courses as well. And during this time, I ended up applying for the JET program. And as you all know, at this point, (laughs) I ended up getting the OK. They ended up showing interest, and they wanted me. And this was when I actually first um, learned about Matsue.
0: Oh, okay. So quick question. Mm -hmm. Did you put like Okoyama on your like requested positions or places? And that's why maybe you got in Matsue because it's somewhat adjacent to Okoyama. So I
2: did put Okoyama as number one. That was number one. And number two was actually Fukui Prefecture. Um, Uh And the reason why is because I love the dialect in Fukui.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Wait, so then what was your third choice? Yokohama. Okay. So it kind of gave you what they felt they needed, and they needed someone in Matsue.
2: Related to that, in in my actual application itself, I had written down that I was actually interested in working in Japan's tourism industry. And and this was true. I have actually always been interested in working in this country's tourism industry in some respect. So I think that's what played the biggest role in me coming to Matsue was, number one, my want to work in the Japanese Tourism ministry. Number two, I had previously lived in Okayama, which is not necessarily the biggest area ever, so they probably suspected, okay, well, this young man, he can probably do well in the Inaka.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're not really Inaka either, so.
1: (laughs) When they were like, okay, we're placing you in Matsue, two questions I have. Mm -hmm. One, did you know anything about Matsue? And if you did, like, what was your first impression of it? And then also, like, okay, now you're in Matsue. Were you, like, trying to absorb as much information as possible before, like, leaving and departing for Matsue?
2: I did not know anything about Matsue itself before coming. However, I knew just a little bit about the prefecture of Shimane before coming. And the reason why is probably because... Japanese university programs in the U.S. when they focus on, you know, the culture of Japan, especially traditional culture, many of them briefly touch upon the Grand Shrine of Izumo, Izumo Grand Shrine. Mm -hmm. And I knew that much, and I knew about Locardio Hearn, and the reason why I knew about him was because he actually came up in my final project at my university when I was actually doing a comparative look at Japanese and Western folklore.
0: Oh, okay. Nice. Interesting.
2: So, you know, when these stories about Yuki Onna, among other Kuchisake Onna, and many other yokai and other figures come up, obviously his name's going to come up, in mentions of Shimane Prefecture. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes, I knew about the larger prefecture itself, but I knew nothing about Matsue when first coming here. You know, I did start looking into some things, however, I did want to leave quite a bit of it to be a surprise for me.
1: Oh that's fun.
2: Yeah. And when I first came here, my coworkers, they picked me up from the airport and then, you know, we were taking a we we had our drive back and everything. And the first thing I thought was, Wow, the environment here seems so familiar to me because of the presence of water. Yeah. In this case, we obviously have the sea north from here, and then we have two large lakes, two large bodies of water basically bordering on the opposite end. And and I come from a very small coastal town in California, so from the moment I arrived here, at least in terms of natural environment, I did not feel out of place. I felt comfortable.
0: That's good that's yeah. awesome because yeah. you never know I, when, when you're going on jet i, I did the same thing i kind of looked into it a little bit for you i looked at the wikipedia page or i looked at whatever resources were available which again back in 2007 not a lot <laughs> Not <laughs> a lot. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah it was it was not much but it was great to kind of explore and really make it your own that's that's the fun part for me yeah completely yeah. agree so you mentioned Lafcadio Hearn, and that was actually kind of lead into our next question. For those who have heard of Matsue, they may associate it with Lafcadio Hearn or maybe Matsue Castle, which is in the center of the city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what else? What else is Matsue best known for? How does mark, Matsue market itself to tourists, both not only in Japan but internationally?
2: I would say what Matsue is best known for, aside from the two things you just mentioned, is tea culture mm-hmm. and. This is largely due to the influence of one of the previous lords of Matsue, who is known quite often actually by his tea ceremony name, which is Michael. And he had a big influence on the way that the tea ceremony was conducted. Not just the tea ceremony itself, but all the adjacent elements that end up playing into the way of tea, such as Japanese gardens, as well as Japanese sweets and you know, the seasonality to the whole thing. Yeah, I would say tea culture is really huge, especially when it comes to traditional Japanese sweets. Matsue is specifically known for traditional Japanese sweets. If you actually go to the local history museum, you can watch a professional, and for anyone who doesn't know, wagashi. Wagashi is the term for Japanese sweets in Japanese, and you can actually watch a professional wagashi artisan—I think would probably be the proper term here—crafter, um, whatever you want to say. But you can actually watch him in his craft doing this thing. Yeah,
1: that's awesome.
0: I think that when we went on the exchange back in 2019, I believe we did manage to catch them in the museum when they, when he was working. So it was pretty—it was pretty cool.
2: They had this huge display, which essentially looked like a large flower display off to the left. And, you know, after he stepped out from behind his little work area, he showed this to us and he's like, so this is this is something I had worked on and this is all made out of complete sugar. And I was looking at this thing because it was almost as big as me.
1: Oh yeah. my.
2: And it was just so beautifully crafted. And it's just it just makes me think, it's like, this is what happens. And this is what we need to appreciate about people who continually work on their craft and keep local traditional culture alive is because you don't see stuff like that much anymore.
0: When we traveled around Matsue, there is a lot of preservation of craft. There is. You feel that when you're walking through the city, whether whichever craft it is varies, but you just felt that preservation, just the area, the historical area around the castle, you could feel that you were dropped back in time.
2: Yes. The people of this area really do take pride in the local culture, in their history, you know, what Matsui was, what is, what it has become. They hold their pride in such a humble way. It's just something mm-hmm. that, you know, they are just genuinely happy to share with other people. And they are also genuinely happy when other people, when they are, you know, led to know this information and when they see the smile on people's faces from that Pure interest. It's just something that really makes the locals, you know, really just brighten up.
0: Yeah. So, so back to that question about how they market themselves. Cause when I was living in Japan, I mean, I did a bit of good bit of traveling, but I had never heard of Matsue there for four years by the end of time I left. Never yeah, heard of Matsue. I don't think
1: I've heard of Matsue till until I Japan Japan this. Yeah.
0: Until Japan Society and the sister city relationship. So, when I once I went there, I was like, how did I not know about this? This place is amazing. <laughs> has the marketing of the city and the culture evolved over time to push it a little bit more domestically and internationally? Obviously with Izumo right next door, that's a huge draw in the fall, right? And people I'm sure go to Matsue as well at that point, but other times of the year.
2: Yeah. So I guess what I will start with saying is I've only been in my position for a year and a half. So I can Mm -hmm. only really speak from what I have learned within that limited period of time. And it has only been just recently that I've really started to see tourists frequently out and about during the day. So with that being said though, the prefecture of Shimane is literally right next door to South Korea. So as far as tourism, you know, between our two countries, you know, are concerned. So South Korea plays a fairly big role, as well as I feel like more Europeans in my experience have come to this area as opposed to Americans. And oftentimes it is the French. I think the French is one of the largest tourist demographics that end up visiting Japan, you know, among non Eastern Asian countries people. So I would say that largely, that has always been a fairly strong demographic. And as far as marketing is concerned, this is going to sound cliche, but for anyone who's actually been here to Matsui, they will know that this is coming from a genuine place. And that is Matsue is one of the most perfect examples you can find of an area that preserves the traditional feel of an area, which I would say is a little bit more of like, you know, a traditional, far less like, you know, urban city kind of environment. Mm -hmm. When you look at the castle or when you actually go around in the waterways that connect with the moat around the castle, you can actually see the history with your own eyes that this really was a town or this was an area of marine commerce, a lot of shipping involved. And if you go just a little bit farther outside the town, you have a old fishing village which is very much related to that, a marine commerce discussion called Mihonoseki. And if you go on a rainy day, oh my God, it is one of the most enchanting areas you could ever find yourself in. It is literally what you would probably imagine when you think of an old traditional Japanese fishing village.
0: Awesome. Well, kind of piggybacking off of that last question then, what are some other must-see places in, or not necessarily just places, but events, festivals, things like that, that uh, may be interesting to travelers that have Matsue on their itinerary? And then what are some things in Matsue that are unique to it that can't be found or done within any other part of the country?
2: Okay, so there's, I'm going to say that there's quite a few things, but I will try to boil it down to a few specific (laughs) examples. One of these examples was about a month to two months ago. I think it happened in at the very beginning of April, and we had our Samurai Warrior Parade.
1: Mm. In
2: Japanese, we call that the Musha Gyōretsu. You have quite a few people cosplay some of the most famous and iconic characters in the history of this area, the lords of the time, the ones who are directly linked to the actual construction of Matsue Castle itself. And you have many people, not not all of them are, this is not just limited to the people of Matsue, but there were actual participants in the parade that were coming from other areas of Japan, such as Osaka, from what I've been told as well. But you have many of the locals, they dress up in the traditional Japanese samurai garb, and for those who aren't familiar with the term samurai it's not simply limited to that of warriors but you know this refers to a whole class of people way back when in this included their families their daughters their sons their wives and with this there comes such a variety in terms of the dress that was represented in this parade and the weather was fantastic that day Honestly, I really wish that this was something that more people could see with their own eyes because it was literally just history unfolding in front of us.
0: That's cool. That
2: sounds yeah. awesome. And, uh, oh, okay, so, and one more, one more. So we actually have a, what I would consider to be somewhat of a modern style Japanese garden here in Matsue that goes by the name of Yushian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the island which Shan is on Daikon-shima. If anyone's familiar with Daikon, then yes, (laughs) it is that. (laughs) Daikon-shima is one of the largest producers of peony domestically. And some people are gonna give me a little flack for saying this. I have a particular taste for Japanese gardens in that I prefer a Japanese garden in which I can actually walk through, in which I can actually Mm -hmm enjoy, I can experience it with my own senses. You know, I can actually experience the smells, not just the sights and then hear, you know, the nature and everything. So for that reason, I am partial to Yuxian because it is a full blown walk and you're basically walking throughout the garden and through all the different displays. And it has several different kinds of displays it often works with and this um, is very seasonal. So they often have illumination events Two of the more well-known ones happen in the fall. And this is an illumination event, which essentially puts on even larger display, the fall colors in Japan. For anyone who's ever been to Japan during the fall, they know how beautiful the deep reds and the browns and the yellows are in the leaves. Now, imagine this at night on display. And there is also a winter display as well. And when it, when it really snows here, when it really gets cold, the garden is just absolutely beautiful. I've had the privilege to actually go there a few times myself this last year.
0: Wow. Well,
1: it's yeah. on my list now. <laughs>
0: yeah, and that was that was one of the places that they brought us to during that. It was oh, incredible. Wonderful. Incredible. Yeah. It, it, and you go in, what was the route that they have?
2: Oh, the ginseng?
0: Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it, yeah. They, like, they have this whole little, like, kind of, I don't say museum, but, like, it's a little walkthrough thing. You learn a lot about the ginseng that's, again, I think that's, one of the few places in japan you can get it right yeah it um, or where it's produced or, or, or if i'm not cultured mistaken, or whatever the right word is
2: was one of the largest producers way back when and that is yeah. actually where it got a lot of its income from way back when was actually um producing ginseng yeah That's
0: so awesome. that was it was cool you learn that and then you go through the garden and the gardens like you said absolutely beautiful it's gorgeous words Thank don't do it justice
1: Speaking of what's on my to-do list, because that's definitely added on my to-do list now. Mm -hmm. But some of the things that people like to put on their to-do list when traveling is food. One of the big parts of having a Japan trip is planning out what you're going to eat. You said it several times already in this uh, recording, you know, Matsue is really located close to the water, so I'm imagining the delicacies of Matsue may pertain to you know some kind of fish or anything like that what are foods that matsue are really known for
2: so one of them is actually if i i know the japanese term i might be getting the english term wrong so the japanese term is shijimi and i'm pretty sure it's basket clams i think that's the english term but i could be wrong
0: Please don't persecute <laughs> me. I just, call, I just call I just them clams. So. Clams. <laughs> clams.
2: They are actually, they are often given as omiyage because we get these clams straight from the lake that I'm actually looking at it right now from here um, in Lake Shinji. They are obtained in an environmentally friendly way. And, and by that, I mean, they don't do any overfishing or anything. Um, the city itself is very protective about its natural environment. So... They are doing this in a very sustainable way, but I've had the miso soup, which ends up using the shijimi from the lake itself. And it adds just a whole nother level or depth of flavor to the actual miso soup itself. And so that is absolutely wonderful. Um, This is also um, aquatic as well. Um, I had never actually seen a flying fish until I had come here. Oh yeah. It was like, uh, I remember I was coming back from a little bit of a work excursion, and uh, I was looking out, out to the left of the lake, just, you know, dozing off. And then I see this fish just end up just flying out of the water, almost, you know, like a dolphin, <laughs> like at sunset or whatever. I'm like, wait, I've never seen that happen back in the States before, at least in my case. And then I end up asking later, and like, yeah, they're actually a delicacy here. Oh. And what that delicacy is, is they actually end up making it into like a burger. And it's called Akaten because it's of a oh, red right? color. And imagine a chicken sandwich, but it is just that much more full of flavor. I would recommend anyone that ends up visiting Matsui, even for a short time, get yourself an Akaten burger if you can. It is unbelievable.
1: Nice. Okay.
0: That's on the, Now, that's on the I packet have to ask... Then.
1: I have Mm -hmm. to ask because there are some people that don't eat fish or don't eat seafood. Mm -hmm. So is there any kind of food that you would recommend to those that aren't big fans of seafood or don't eat seafood?
2: That is actually a very good question. I would not be the expert in that department. (laughs) There, there are options available to you in this area, but I would say if you're, you're looking for like the delicacies of this particular area. Number one, aside from the traditional Japanese sweets, which I would feel is more of like an experience and rather to actually get yourself full. What you can do, let's say if you, let's exclude pescatarians for a moment. If you are a vegetarian, there are still many options available to you, especially if you go, To like, you know, an area that has like a full blown, you know, Japanese traditional style like meal, which, you know, it comes with a lot of like the different groups that are available to you. There's a lot of vegetables um, included in that. So I would say you're going to have to do some research or you can just end up contacting my department and we could end up doing the work for you, the homework for you, and we'll look into it. I can't think of any prime examples,
0: though. I'm trying to think of the name. There was one restaurant, it's kind of in the historic district, near like the samurai uh, house and Lafcadio Hearn, in that mm-hmm. area. It's like Kame something, it's like a soba place.
2: Oh my god, literally as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, oh my Can't god, remember the full name? Name. Soba.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> soba, of course soba. Izumo soba is particularly famous whenever I give izumo soba as an omiyage. People are just ecstatic, they're so happy. So there are plenty of soba restaurants, and even even though the name is Izumo Soba, there are plenty of very famous local soba restaurants here in Matsui itself, and they are honestly very affordable. That is the one thing that you will find is when you're going for like the more lavish meals, yes, you'll find stuff on the higher end, but even if you're looking for something like a more traditional meal, like such as soba or whatnot, it's very affordable. It's very well within most people's budget. So highly recommended.
1: Good to know.
0: So I've kind of referenced back to the Sister City Exchange program we did back in 2019. That takes place in October, typically centered around the uh, little Mardi Gras festival that takes place in Matsue City. But one of the things that also took place around that same time was, again, centered around the castle. The entire city center was surrounded and lit paper lanterns, kind of lining the sidewalks and the moat around the castle. Absolutely gorgeous at night. Like, unbelievably, like, the ambiance is just incredible. In the distance, you could hear taiko teams, like, practicing their taikos in, like, neighborhoods. All these, like, fun things that, like, are going on. For me, I love that atmosphere. It was amazing. But, like, is there a specific time of year? Because I know you mentioned that you really thought Yuxian or or other gardens were really beautiful deep in the snow during winter. Mm -hmm. Or the fall colors were particularly beautiful. You know, is there a certain time of year that you think it's best to visit Matsue? I would say that would just depend on your objective in general,
2: like what it is, what is it that you would like to see. For okay. example, if you have heard about the stunning sunset of Lake Shinji, it's it's in the top 100 sunsets in Japan. Um, now, if that is something you're interested in, I would actually recommend coming here either late winter, or late fall and the reason for that is because that is generally the time frame when the sun is actually setting below the horizon that is directly across from the lake itself whereas right now the sun is actually setting far more off into the distance so you won't get the same kind of burning red just beautiful crimson sunset that you would find during the winter time as you just mentioned, the Suitoro, the um, the Water Lantern Festival, um, that is something that happens in October. If that's something that you are interested in, I would recommend coming at that time. This area is also absolutely beautiful in spring. I had three friends come from California. It was their first Japan trip, and they came during peak cherry blossom season. We have so many beautiful areas, not just simply the castle, although, The area surrounding the Castle Keep itself is just completely um, done up with Cherry Blossom trees itself, and we often do samurai-related events during that time here. I really think it is like, what is it that you want to see, really? It's going to depend. And if if someone has any questions about what's good in the season, they can actually just contact us directly and we can give just a myriad of recommendations
0: okay to piggyback off of that one more thing there's an event i can't remember the name of it i wish i did but it's like really unique in that it only happens once every 10 years do you remember what it's called oh, i can't uh, <laughs> not to put you on the spot
2: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that's it yeah
2: I'm, I'm gonna be yeah. honest with you i don't know much about Kora Enya. And the reason why is because unfortunately it's not gonna be happening while well, I'm still a CIR, but um, I am going to come back. I don't care what's happening in my life at that time. I don't <laughs> care if I'm in the middle of my marriage ceremony <laughs> or something.
0: I'm gonna come back for that Planning part. the wedding around. Yep. <laughs>
2: I, I believe it's gonna happen again in, is it 2028? I could be wrong about that, but it's like five or six years from now.
0: Oh, i want to say i think it's 2029 because i think oh. 2019 was when it happened okay. we missed it by like four months oh. and I, we saw the posters because they had a lot of posters advertising and they were still up in like some of the tourist centers and whatnot and i was like what's this and then someone told me i'm like oh no yeah. well oh, it's happening point. and then no <laughs> no you gotta wait 10 more years before you can see it again no but i think that adds to the the incredible like experience of, of the event right
2: yeah, no, it really does. It adds to, you know, the pure cultural gravity, in a sense, of the event, like how important it is, like a long-standing tradition, but it's so traditional that it only happens every so often.
1: <laughs>
2: and just imagine the amount of photographers that will oh, be in this area during that time, and I will be one of them <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this next time around. Yeah.
1: Japanese photographers, that's a real thing, like lining up to just take photographs of whatever it is. I, I saw something recently of all these, like, older men with their cameras taking pictures of, like, trains passing by. It was the train otakus? Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Most, most of them are super nice, super lovely people. Oh, yeah, but for
1: sure. You will are find you? some people a
2: little too involved in their
0: craft at times. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you, it's funny you mentioned that because on Shogatsu, I did Omikoshi with a friend of mine uh, back in 2017 I guess I think it was 2016 going into 2017 because my son was only like six months old at the time and I did that and then this old guy was walk, kinda of walking around and he took a picture of me, my wife, and my son right in front of like the, the omikoshi that we had just carried into the Pacific Ocean because it was an Ibaraki. Mm-hmm. And we walked into the ocean at like peak January, <laughs> like cold winter weather. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and you're only wearing the Fundoshi and little happy coat, you know, that's yeah. nothing else. So it was really cold. But this old guy kinda of came around and then took a picture of us. And then he found somehow found my mother in law and like brought her the picture.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: yeah. It's, it was a small community, too. But still, oh, okay. like, so I have that picture. It's, like, right across the room. I'll show it to you later after. But, uh, yeah. Oh, Wonderful. <laughs>
1: Well, one of the things I need to talk about because obviously this episode is geared towards Matsue travel and one of the big parts about traveling for tourists is concerns about being prepared for their visit to Matsue. I mean, should tourists be concerned about like language barriers? Should they be concerned about like how to get around the area with public transportation? How would that look like? Their food restrictions? Anything that tourists should be aware of before going over to Matsue?
2: Yeah, and I'll go ahead and probably touch on a couple things first that will be applicable to Japan as a whole, and then I will specifically oh. talk about Matsue. And one of right. those things, if you make a trip to Japan, please prepare to have cash on hand. <laughs> um, there are still businesses that do not accept credit cards and do not accept electronic forms of payment most of those electronics forms of payment you know aside from the really big names they might be you know domestic ones specifically yeah please be sure to have cash um that is a really big thing and now we'll lead into Matsui itself now japan's just public transportation infrastructure in my personal opinion although probably many other people's personal opinions is much better than that in the u.s in terms of you know train travel like it's it's far more consistent, I believe. If you're if you're talking about local lines, it's just far cheaper to ride. I would say, in my experience, taxis are more on the cheaper end here than back in the States, but I don't have as much experience back in the States um, with taxis and whatnot. However, one thing you will have to be very aware of when you come to Matsue is you will be fairly restricted in terms of transportation if you want to actually not just Matsue but go out into the much farther areas of Shimani Prefecture. There will be fairly famous sites, such as the silver mines here in Shimani Prefecture, that you know you would either have to rent a car, or you maybe there would have to be a special tour that you had to have to take a part in. There are other events. One that happens on the western side of Shimane Prefecture, which is on horseback archery. It happens every year during the spring. You can take a train all the way out there, and it's actually fairly inexpensive. But when it comes to getting into places there that you might want to see, that's where having a car is going to become really important. So for anyone who wants to get the full taste of not just Matsue, but Shimane prefecture as a whole, I highly recommend renting a car while you are here.
0: I can second that because there's so many places that it opens so many doors if you have a car. And to be honest, for US-based travelers, just go to AAA, it costs like 25 bucks. As long as you have an American driver's license, you're good, and that's all you need to do, just bring a passport picture. And that's in your set, you just go in, you show them your international driver's license, your passport, and then you can rent a car. And it's not too expensive, honestly, um, from what I remember, I did it once or twice. But yeah, it's it's definitely fantastic recommendation, especially if you're trying to get around in areas that aren't as accessible.
1: What would you say about the language though? Do you feel like tourists are going to have trouble if they don't know any Japanese?
2: I think a lot of people know like baseline, like hello, very simple greetings. However, when you want to start doing a little bit more involved experiences here, it's going to take some level of Japanese, but what you can do at Matsui Station itself, they have an actual like kiosk and they actually have very, very, very confident Japanese um, English speakers. And if you research and there's something ahead of time that you knew you wanted to do, like go to a certain restaurant, or maybe schedule like, you know, to actually be able to participate in this sort of like, I don't know, making traditional Japanese paper experience or something they can make the call for you and they can make the reservation for you for anything so you're not completely barred from being able to have these experiences but not knowing at least a little bit of japanese could bring about some fairly hectic
1: situations yeah gotcha gotcha
0: do you know and one of our previous guests that we had this season had recommended using local tour guides you know not related to the city not you know just local tour guides Do you know that those types of services are available within Matsue?
2: Yes, they are. And I think, you know, certain tourism agencies obviously have like maybe like an in-house tour guide or something that would be able to speak, you know, proficient English that could help you. I think this is more so event limited, but I know in the case of Matsue Castle, They also have community tour guides, um, some of which can actually speak English. One of them actually cosplays as one of the lords, a previous lord of Matsui Castle's son, and he's like in full um, samurai garb and everything, and and he speaks very good English. Like, his, his English is really incredible and everything. So, there are guide options available, and some of which are actually in English. I don't know how much that covers, though. With that being said, it might Imagine. be only specifically for this particular, you know, okay. like setting and then other mm-hmm. settings. You're going to have to figure it
1: out. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Gotcha. I think we kind of touched on, like you had mentioned earlier, the food restrictions and whatnot, but you, I want to kind of go back to transportation because we did touch on that mm-hmm. for a second. With Matsui's position on the west coast of Honshu... Mm-hmm. It's not the easiest of places to get to if you're flying into Japan from the U.S. or from wherever you are flying in from around the world. So what what would you recommend or, or some of the best ways to get to Matsue from, let's say, you know, the major hubs of like Osaka or Tokyo? How would you recommend uh, traveling to Matsue?
2: So let's say you were coming to Japan and you have purchased a Japanese rail pass because you have heard from you know, other people who have experience traveling in Japan, that that is one of the most economical decisions you can make if you want to travel to many different locations within a short span. That means that your travel to Matsue itself, if you're using basically all JR lines, will essentially be covered. However, even though Matsue is right next to Hiroshima, for example, or it's right nearby Okayama. Um, We are surrounded by mountains, which makes traveling by train take that much longer. From Okayama City to Matsue Station, it takes about two and a half hours by train alone, which is a considerable amount. And one of the reasons is because there is no Shinkansen, there is no bullet train that comes here to Matsue. So if you are worried about time, because you don't have that much time to enjoy your, you know, stay here in Japan. You could probably take a flight from, let's see, you could definitely take a flight from Osaka airport. And I'm trying to think it would either be, it would probably be Haneda because Haneda covers more so domestic travel than Narita. But that's where we
0: did our layover. Then that's
2: probably what it would be. It would be Haneda airport or the airport in Osaka and get your plane tickets well, in advance, because if you can do that, you can get them for fairly cheap, like really cheap. Okay. But if you don't, then, you know, one plane ticket could be, you know, two $300 right there. So just something to
0: keep
1: in mind. Sure. And where would this plane take you?
2: So there's two airports. Both of them are honestly not too far. The bus ride from the airport to Matsui Station itself, they're generally about the same amount of time. So there's okay. Ilnago Airport and there's Izumo Airport. And the one I always come through is Izumo Airport. I would say that because we're not necessarily as well-frequented as some other areas in Japan, you will not probably not have as many flights as some other areas. So this is why you should probably look into getting a ticket well ahead of time, just so that you know that you will have yours ready when you need it. Mm.
1: Good point, good point.
0: Yeah. And actually, that's where we flew into Izumo Airport. And it's a okay. it's a pretty small airport, too. So you know, I think it only has like it's really small. a handful of gates, <laughs> <Like> not many.
2: <laughs> it's, it's as big as the airport in my hometown, which is really small, like uh, suburban California.
0: So speaking of Izumo, it's like you said, just literally the next town, next city over from Matsue. By car from Izumo Airport to Matsue, I think it was about an hour, 45 minutes or so. But in the beginning, when you said you had heard of Shimane a little bit because of Izumo Taisha, one of the most famous shrines in all of Japan. It wouldn't be a conversation about Matsue, I feel like, if we didn't briefly touch on Izumo Taisha, because it's one of the big pulls for that area. And could you share with us one other nearby spot that you think is a fun day trip away?
2: Okay, so um, I'm not an expert on Izumultaisha itself, but with that being said, it's one of the most famous and one of the most historically important um, shrines in the entire country. And this comes down to its history, dealing with the Kojiki and basically one of the oldest written texts that existed in Japan. and The reason why it's so important is because, you know, the name of this shrine often comes up in these texts itself and basically its relationship with a lot of the mythology of the country, as well as, like, its relationship with the mythology of Japan's origin story, like the birth of the country in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I will also say that, especially amongst us... I, I don't want to say modern people, I, I guess in my case, you know, millennials and whatnot, but Taisha is essentially very famous for its matchmaking properties, so to speak.
0: <laughs>
2: here's, here's a funny story. When it comes to Taisha, you have to be careful about who you go with and at what time. And specifically what I mean is if you are going, you know, with a significant other. If you and that significant other go before you start dating, then you will have the blessing of the Resonant God there at that time. If you go to Ismail Taisha while you are dating, in other words, you go to Ismail Taisha after you have started dating your significant other, you might not have that same kind of blessing because it might be thought as you did not consult the gods Uh before you ended up getting into your uh, relationship to begin with. It is also perfectly acceptable to um, go to East Taisha with your significant other after the two of you have married. There's no super negative superstition involving that and it is also a very common wedding spot, especially for the locals. There are many weddings that will take place at Yzma So think of it as a shrine of just long history and an important relationship with the mythology of this country, as well as it being a very large shrine associated with fate, especially okay. when it comes to romantic involvements.
0: Okay. And so your potential wedding in 2029 that you're gonna plan around Horienya, you do it at Yzma and then just go right after to uh Enya and you're all good, huh? Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> we don't work out that way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know Doug really emphasized Izumo, but what would you recommend as like another day trip if someone were to like pretty much station themselves maybe in Matsue or Shimane? What would you feel would be a good uh, day trip? Because everyone always talks about, oh, day trip from Tokyo, but let's talk about day trips from Matsue.
2: Yeah, so uh, this would all depend, like, okay, let's say you have a car. It depends on what you want to, if you want to go do photography, there's a lot of, like, different, like, you know, natural areas, which you go out, this includes Izumo. this includes Unnan, for example, which is also right outside of Matsue. Unnan is especially beautiful during the cherry blossom season, because they just basically have this long stretch of road that essentially borders a river that's lined with cherry blossom trees and literally this road continues and it continues and it continues. So it's just a lovely drive spot. I mentioned the fishing village Mihonoseki. There's not necessarily as many shops that will possibly be open at the time, maybe when you go. However, on a rainy day, the atmosphere is just lovely. There is also, for anyone who knows Even a little bit about Shimane Prefecture, they are probably familiar with the name Adachi Museum of Art, and it has been ranked as having the number one Japanese garden in the entire world. They also have a very, very um, stellar art collection. If I do say so myself, that's actually one of my favorite things about going there. It is in the town of Yasugi, and that's 20-25 minutes by train from Matsue JR Station. And then you would take a bus out from Yasugi Station and that ride will take about 30, 40 minutes together. But the, the bus is free. Oh, nice. And you could spend two, three, four hours at the museum, you know, admiring the art or getting tea, you know, in this little nice cafe that sits, you know, right up close to the garden. You can just enjoy the atmosphere. And it's, um, it's also a lovely experience. Um, if you are like me, and you are interested in what is called Kagura, which is a traditional Japanese dance performance, that is the stories of each performance, which are based on stories um, related to the mythology, the gods of Japanese folklore. I love Kagura, and you will have different Kagura troops throughout the prefecture. Um, there's Iwami Kagura, among others. and. Those happen in Hamada, you know, performances sometimes happen in Matsue itself around other parts of the prefecture. So if you happen to be around, just figure out, okay, where is this performance happening? And then if you need to rent a car, go see it. You will not be disappointed with a Kagura
0: performance. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Sounds like people got some planning to do. Get get over to (laughs) Matsue. Yeah. But uh, we've taken more than enough of your time, uh, so we know that it is a work day for you at the moment. Before we end this uh, recording, though, would you like to shout out anything? I know in the beginning you were talking about social media, so maybe um, you want some of our listeners to check out some social media?
2: Yes, very much so. Um, so I do run a page, or I do run several pages for the city of Matsue itself. And as I mentioned previously, these pages introduce cultural events, traditional events, as well as seasonal happenings here locally in Matsue in English. And so on Facebook, if you look up in Matsue and both the I in and the M in Matsue are capitalized, you will find my page. You will probably recognize it just simply because of a lot of the photography and whatnot, like, okay, many of the events and the places that he was talking about are popping up here. So check out that page on Facebook, please give the page a follow. And, you know, if you're interested in these stories, I try to post at least three times a month on there, be very involved about that. And also same deal over on Instagram. The name of the page is images underscore in, underscore Matsue and you'll recognize it because the picture for the profile itself is the same as the Facebook page and it is essentially the pages are you know carving copies of each other it's just that one is over on Instagram and one is over on Facebook so whichever one you frequent the most please just go ahead give it a follow give it a like and uh, if you have any questions about any of the yeah. things I'm posting. You can message me directly through those.
0: That's awesome. So we'll definitely make sure we share those links to the Instagram and the Facebook in our show notes. So That way people can find you and, and follow your photography and your links and everything. We already started following you and I love the pictures that you post on there. So it's great.
2: Thank you, thank you.
0: That's, that's pretty much all we had. And again, I know it's a Monday morning. You're getting your day started we don't want to keep you too much longer. I think we've already kind of run a little bit over time, but uh, thank you for sharing with us so much. I know I learned a lot. I know Jen learned a lot. It has been so much fun.
2: No, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And if you would ever like me to talk a little bit more specifically and more in depth about, you know, a certain facet of Matsui, please just have me on again. I'd be more than willing to.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we love our return guests. So, You got it. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks. No, thank you. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Crew Japan podcast. A special thank you to Nicholas McCullough for joining us to talk about traveling to Matsue. Definitely check out the Instagram feed that Nicholas runs to see some of the beauty that Matsue has to offer. We'll make sure to link that in our show notes. But really, it's just great to revisit Matsue, even if only an audio journey. But hopefully soon I can get back. Speaking of getting back to Matsue, I promised some more details about that exchange program. And here I am overpromising and underperforming. Just kidding. While the details are still being fleshed out, the projected date for the exchange program will be in early to mid-October 2024. And while the official criteria will be published at a later date, the most important piece of information is this. In order to be eligible to participate, you must be an active, dues-paid member of Japan Society of New Orleans. But it's not too late to become a member if you aren't. Just pop over to the Japan Society of New Orleans website and sign up today. It's that easy. Get ahead of the game now while you're thinking about it while you're listening to this episode and get yourself one step closer to going to Matsue next year. Have you ever been to Matsue? What places in Matsue piqued your interest the most? Share with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, LinkedIn, at Crew of Japan Podcast. That's K-R-E-W-E-O-F-J-P-A-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Just search Crew of Japan Podcast, will pop up. We're like the only one there. While you're there, give us a follow, like, retweet, share, repost, comment, I don't know, whatever floats your boat. Just let us know how you're enjoying the podcast. Or perhaps you prefer to provide your feedback in a more private setting. Send us an email at crewofjapanpodcast at gmail.com. One more time, k-r-e-w-e-o-f-j-a-p-a-n-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com. Speaking of feedback, if you're enjoying what you're listening to today or this whole season, previous seasons, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and or review on your favorite podcast streaming app every single one of those five-star ratings and reviews helps others interested in Japan and this kind of content find the podcast. And I'm 100% sincere when I say that any and all support is incredibly appreciated. But that's it for today. Until next time. Now get yourself over to the Japan Society website and sign up today so you can go on that exchange program next year. Let's go. See ya.